You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Starting in Revelations 1, uh, verse 19, uh, Jesus is speaking to John, and he says, Now I want you to write what you have seen. So, Uh, In the book of Revelations, John is writing about what he has seen, and then he's writing about something else, and that's the next thing, what is. So uh, I want you to talk about what you've seen, John. I want you to talk about what is. And then he says, the third thing is he says, and then I uh, want you to talk about what comes. So what he's seen, what is, and what is coming. And that's the whole book of Revelations. So what he has seen, we talked about in Revelations 1, all the images of Jesus and what Jesus looks like now. What he looks like now. He doesn't look like the Jesus on the, uh, as a 12-year-old boy or a baby or the one that walked around or the one on the cross. He looks totally different, the one that sits on the throne. And we talked about that already. And so he said, I want you to talk about what you're seeing, John, and then what is. And so chapters 2 and 3 talk about the church. And so that's what is. We live in what we call the church age. Starting with the resurrection of Jesus, the church was birthed very shortly after that. In the book of Acts, the church was birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church was birthed. And so we live in the church age. And for 2,000 years, we've lived in the church age. And then the next thing that happens is what we're going to talk about in what is what's called the rapture. And so, uh, so he's going to talk about that. That's the sequence of the book of Revelations, and that's the sequence that we see uh, from Genesis, from what happens in the book of Genesis to what takes place in Revelations. Now, we're going to talk about the rapture, so we have to go to some rapture scriptures. So go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, people say that the word rapture does not appear in the Bible. Why do you use that term? Well, rapture is just the Latin term uh, for the Greek word harpozo, which means to snatch away or to seize. The word rapture comes from the Latin word uh, raptus, uh, which means to carry off, to seize, to carry away, to snatch away. It also means to kidnap. So it has a meaning of that it's sudden. It's like it happens suddenly, quickly. And so the reason we use the word rapture is because it's just the Latin word for the Greek word, uh, harpozo, which means the exact same word, which is to carry away, take away. So that's why we use that word. And so for those of you who say, or for people who say, man, the word rapture is not in the Bible, da, 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 da. Well, yes, it is. It's just in the Greek. And we'll read some of it here in just a moment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, Jesus is, and and we're being told right here about the coming of the Lord and what's going to take place. And this is just one place in the New Testament where it's talked about. It says, For the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of an archangel, and the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then... We who are alive will join them transported together in clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air. And we will be forever joined with the Lord. So encourage one another with these truths. That's not a parable. That's not a story. It's the absolute truth about the end of the church age. 
when the church is taken off the planet. And so we see in Revelations, we see who Jesus is, and then we see what is happening, which is the church. And then in Revelations 4 is where we need to go to to find the parallel example of this in what's coming next um, uh, that Thessalonians is talking about. So go with me to Revelations 4. Pastor, you always look at a lot of Scripture? Yeah, because it's the Word of God that has the power. My words don't have power unless I'm speaking the Word. Amen, because it's God's Word that has the power. And so in Revelations 4, um, he talks about the same sequence uh, in verse 1. It says, then suddenly, everybody say suddenly. That's that same word, snatched away, carried away. Something's going to happen. It's quickly. It's seizing. He says, uh, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a portal open into the heavenly realm. Listen, when the Bible talks about a portal, that's uh, Jesus is the door. The Bible said, Jesus himself says, I am the door. And so this is the, this is the appearing of Jesus, the door. Exactly what was happening in Thessalonians. And it says this, I saw a portal open into the heavenly realm, and the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning. So now we have a voice and a trumpet. Sounds just like a trumpet. And he says this, ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. So it's, it's the sequence of the rapture. And so John is representing the body of Christ here. Jesus opens the door. He, 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 he rises to that point of heaven. He goes up into heaven. He hears the voice to come. He hears the voice that sounds like a trumpet to come. And then he enters into the presence of God. It says instantly in verse 2, I was taken, there's that word again, taken into the spirit realm. And behold, I saw a heavenly throne being, a heavenly throne being set in place and someone seated upon it. A throne being set and someone seated upon it. And then it describes Jesus. Describes Jesus the Lord on that throne. And so that's the rapture sequence that we see. And that is what, that's why people uh, say that before before um, the uh, wrath of God is poured out upon the world, the seven years of wrath, the seven years of tribulation is poured out, that the church is raptured because this is an exact sequence of what was talked about in 1 Thessalonians. And the church is talked about, I think, 16 times in, verses, in chapters 1 through 4 of Revelations. In the next preceding chapters, all the way to chapter 18, the church is not mentioned once. Not mentioned once. The Antichrist is talked about. The wrath of God is talked about. Israel is talked about. But the church is not mentioned again until chapter 19. Then 19, 20, 21, and 22 were mentioned again. So we see that people who say, well, I believe in uh, pre-tribulation, which means we go before the wrath. The wrath of God is poured out. Are, they're right. They're accurate. Then some people say, well, I believe in mid-tribulation. Well, we see in, when the wrath of God is poured out, some people wake up and go, oh, my gosh, this isn't an alien abduction. You guys read the articles that are coming out right now that there's a mothership that's sending down? These, these are on, this isn't regular news feed. This isn't like, you know, Roswell news feed. This is in regular news and they're talking about aliens and showing pictures of, 
of pilots and people supposedly seeing alien ships. Guys, I'm telling you, that, that deception that is here is going to be one of the things they say happens to us when we're gone, that it's a mass alien abduction. Mark my words, that's exactly what they'll say. And they're, they're preparing that right now. They're preparing that, that lie. That's going to be one of many lies about what's happened to us. And so, uh, so that's what we see in the Bible, that, that, that during that time we know some people are slaughtered because they don't take the mark of the beast. They're slaughtered, and some of them will go to heaven, but they're going to be slaughtered. We won't see them again to the second coming. They'll be slaughtered. And then we see that in the book of Revelations, we have the, what I call the Abraham sequence or the Israel sequence where God deals with uh, the Jewish nation and it's all about Israel and the Antichrist for all the rest of those chapters till chapter 19. Israel and the Antichrist, that's what it's talked about. And it's in the exact same sequence as, as Genesis. So we have the paradise Sequence, and then we have the heaven. We end in heaven in chapters 21, 22, we end in heaven. So we have what we call the paradise sequence. It, the Bible begins in paradise and ends in heaven, which is better than paradise, but it still ends the same. But it's, and we know from the Old Testament scriptures that everything that happened in Genesis will be better or more magnified or more serious in Revelations. So paradise is great, but heaven's greater. And so when we see that, you have to understand there's a sequence that's taking place that God has put in order. And so if Genesis starts day one, you can say Genesis is, starts with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay? And then Revelations goes backwards. Six, five, four, three, two, one. So the ones on each end are paradise and heaven. And then it goes backwards. Two is the domination of Jesus, found in Revelation chapter 20, where Jesus is the judge of the whole world, and he takes complete control over every man, every person over the earth. Just like Adam was given dominion over the earth. Then we see the rise of the Antichrist. When did it rise in Genesis? Well, that would be number three, on, uh, in Genesis, but number, uh, uh, and it'll also be number three in Revelations, but it's backwards in the book of Revelations. It's a mirror image of, of uh, Revelations and Genesis are mirror images of each other. And so what is the rise of the Antichrist? Well, you see in the book of Revelations that Cain did not want to give God his very best, only his brother Abel. And when he saw that Abel honored God, he didn't want to honor God. He kept the best for him. So what is he saying? I'm God. Abel said, God is God. Cain said, I'm God. Because I'm keeping the best for me. And I'm going to give you my leftovers, God. I'm first, you're second. Abel said, God's first, I'm second. So you see the rise of the Antichrist just like you do if you read the book of, book of Revelations backwards, you see that from 18 to all the way to 5 and 6, you see the wrath of God poured out and the rise of the Antichrist. It's going backwards in sequence. It's going backwards. Does that make sense? Some of you are saying yes, some are saying no. Uh, 
But, but guys, it's a mirror image. The, the Genesis is a shadow, a picture of the real thing, the end thing that's coming in Revelations. Those two books mirror each other, but in, they've, they're flipped. Gener, uh, Genesis 1 mirrors Genesis 21 and 22, and then backwards from there, all the way to uh, Revelations 1. That's what's happening right now. We're seeing that sequence played out. So we've talked about the paradise sequence. We've talked about, uh, now I'm, I'm explaining to you the, the rise of the Antichrist sequence in Cain, that what did he do? He killed his brother Abel. He committed murder. What, is, what does Satan want to do? Kill. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What happens to Cain? He's cursed. What happens to Lucifer and the Antichrist? They're cursed. And they pass on the curse. That's exactly what happens. And so Cain represents the rise of the Antichrist, and then we have the next sequence. In order to explain completely the next sequence, we have to go to a couple books uh, in the New Testament. Go with me to Luke 17. This is all going to make sense here in just a moment. This next sequence is the key to knowing the time frame, not the exact time, but the time frame that Jesus will come back for the church. I told you I was going to explain that to you, and you're going to see this very clearly here real quick. You're going to go, how did I ever miss that? Because it's so simple, but it, yet it is so profound in the Word. So uh, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 26, uh, Jesus uh, is beginning to explain some things about Noah. And he says this, the same things that happened in the days of Noah, he said the exact same things that happened in Noah, he said, will take place in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, and they were marrying. I've explained that there will be an economy always. We'll never live in some of those movies where there's no food, it's the walking dead, it's 2012, whatever that is. We're not gonna live, there's gonna be earthquakes, there's gonna be rumors of wars, there's gonna be disasters, there's gonna be hiccups in the economy, but there's always gonna be economy because I know people that have paid for their daughter's wedding and it's a small fortune. And you don't spend that kind of money on some, uh, your daughter's wedding if there's not an economy. Matter of fact, if you're starving and there's, you're looking for food and resources and shelter and trying to protect yourself, you're not spending anything on a wedding. Amen? Matter of fact, people probably don't even get married during that time. Everybody's trying to survive. And so that's why we know there's going to be economy, and that's why God used that, that, that term. And then he says this, uh, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the devastating flood came and swept them all away. So he compares uh, Noah's day to this day we're living in now. He said the exact same things that were happening in Noah's day are going to be happening now. Now. And so we're going to get to that comparison, but first go with me to John, the book of John 14. I want to show you another thing that Jesus uses to compare to his coming for the church. And he uses this often. There's multiple parables. There's multiple stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels especially, but all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is talking about coming back for his church. Here's another one. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Don't worry or surrender to fear. So we shouldn't ever be afraid. Amen? For you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. 
My father's house has many dwelling places. For, it were, for if it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you. Here's that word again, rapture, harpazo, which means to seize, to take, to, to, to snatch away quickly. He said, I'll come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am and you already know the way to the place where I'm going. And so he said, man, you, you already know the way to the place I'm going is through me, is what he's saying. You have to go through Jesus. He's the door. Now, what is he talking about here, about preparing a place and coming back for you? He is comparing the rapture of the church, the taking away of the church, to a Jewish wedding. So in the Jewish custom, the, the father of the groom would take the groom to meet the, the, the bride's uh, parents, and they would meet, and they would make a deal. Uh, your daughter for my son, and then here's a bunch of money. And so, listen, I, I am 1% uh, Ajakazi Jew, and so if you want to marry my daughter, bring a dowry, a big one. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. I'll sell her. No, I don't know. So anyway, so they would, they would make this exchange, and then they would, they would seal their marriage right then. Before the feast, before they consummated it, they would seal. They would drink a glass of wine, and that represented the blood of the covenant between husband and wife, and they were sealed to marriage right then. They were, they were married. Right after all that took place. Then the husband would say to the bride, he'd say, hey, listen, I'm going to go get prepared. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to get you a home. I've always told my boys, don't you get married, seriously, until you have a place that your wife can stay, and it's not my house. you got to have your own house. Your own house, Tucker, your own place. And so, not my place, your place. And so you're going to say, hey, let's get married. Move to my parents. No, I ain't do that. And so... So he said, I'll go prepare a place. So the groom would leave, and he would go and prepare the place. And the bride and the bride's uh, uh, entourage would have to get prepared right then. They would lay out all their dresses. They would get everything ready they were taking. I mean everything. So that any time it happened, they could just grab their stuff, get dressed real quick, and go. Because they did not know when he was going to be finished. But as soon as he finished, he would go get his guys and say, guys, we're going to go get her. We're going to go get her. And they would get torches. It happened mainly at night, just like Jesus said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. They would go at night carrying torches, and the friend of the bridegroom, which was his, like his best man, would walk out in front of that group, not very far out in front. And he, as soon as he could see the village and he knew that they could hear him, he would yell, hey, wake up, get ready, he's coming. And they would get all dressed as quickly as they could. And he'd show up and get her, and she would put a veil on. And she would leave that veil on over her face. That's where we get the veils. And he would, she would put a veil on, and he would take her, and he would take her home. And as soon as they got home, they went to what was called the, uh, 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 I can't remember the name in, in the Jewish term, harpo, hoopo, something like that. Anyway, it's where they consummated the marriage. And he would take her in there, and they would consummate the marriage. He would come out without her and say, I'm the man, something like that. You know, we, we, it's good. You know, we've consummated the marriage, and then a seven-day feast would begin. Seven days of feasting. The bride did not come out. 
She would stay in there, and her bridal party could go see her and feast with her and stuff, but she had to keep the veil. She couldn't come out of that room without the veil on, and she didn't come out. And so at the end of the seven-day feast, she would come out, and the groom would lift the veil, and then everybody could see his bride at the end of seven days. Now, we know the wrath of God is poured out for seven years. Poured out seven years. But we also know that the feast, the bridal feast takes place all that seven times until the bride is revealed. So in the book of Revelations, if you're going backwards, in Revelations chapter 20, in the judgment seat of Christ, when the book of life is opened and the church is revealed, unveiled, the church is unveiled, When is it unveiled? After seven years of tribulation. So during the time that wrath is poured out on those that have rejected Christ for seven years, we're gonna be in heaven feasting at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. We're gonna get big and full up in heaven. At the end of that seven years, the church is unveiled in Revelations 20. You see how, how these sequences and why he used those examples of I go to prepare a place, I will come back for you. That is all part, they all understood that is part of a Jewish wedding. And they, now we understand why he said that. He's talking about coming for his bride. His bride is the church before the wrath is poured out. He says many times, we are no longer children of wrath. We're not children of wrath anymore. We once were children of wrath, but once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and you receive his love and his mercy, you're no longer a child of wrath. That's why we can't go through the seven years of tribulation. That's why people who think we do are wrong because we're not the children of wrath. And I'm gonna show you again where he compares, when he, when he says the same things that happened in Noah's day are gonna happen now, I'm gonna show you exactly what's happening now that happened in Noah's day, except now it's happening on a large, a bigger scale because it's much more serious. And it's the real thing. It's the real rapture, not an ark, but the real rapture. And you're gonna see a pattern that God has of redemption, offering salvation, redemption, and mercy before he ever pours out judgment. We know that God said in the ice, in, you know, having scales, if you can imagine I have, you know, old-fashioned scales here. God said, my mercy always exceeds my judgment. So he's long-suffering. So he's, he's, he's holding his mercy because there's so many people that have not accepted it that are still walking in judgment. Because that's why he's being patient. That's why he's patient. That's why you can see, you can say, man, that person loved the Lord. Why did they die sooner than someone who hates the Lord? Some of it's God's patience on those who hate him. He's trying to give them every option, every day, every moment to finally submit their lives and surrender their lives to him. Whereas those who know him, man, we go from life to life. I don't die. I don't die. When this body ceases to exist, just know I'm not dead. I'm alive in heaven forever, man. I'll come back with Jesus. If, if he hadn't come back already for us, I'm coming back with him. Amen. You'll see me again. 
Some of you are like, darn. <laughs> Thought we were getting rid of you. Now, you'll see me again, and hopefully I'll see you again too. So, so now we're going to look at the, the Noah sequence, and um, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. I went over this before that we have multiplied. Uh, it's unreal how much the population has grown just in the last hundred years. We've gone from just, a, I think, three million people on the planet to almost eight million people on the planet. So as in the days of Noah, People are, we are multiplying like crazy. Some nations are in decline, but the general population is rising. Same thing that's happening. He said it would be just like the days of Noah. And he said, and daughters were born to them. Go to the next verse. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, there's another word. Um, and the Lord said, go ahead, you can flip it. You can go there. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, he, he's like, okay, listen, I, I gotta put a limit on mankind. I gotta, there's something happening there. When he talks about the sons of God, that word in a lot of translations is Nephilim. The Nephilim begin to take the the, the human being women as wives and begin to multiply the earth with them. Who are the Nephilim? Who's he referring to right here? He's not talking about mankind. He's talking, not talking about normal human men. He's talking about demonic spirits that were cast down to earth that took on human form and gave up their spiritual form. Gave up their spiritual form. We know five different times in the Bible, five separate times, angels appeared as human beings. And they thought they were human beings. Five separate times. Abraham, they appeared. Lot, they appeared. I just, there's five separate times they appeared as human beings. Matter of fact, there's a warning to us today. Be careful in how you entertain strangers because they might be an angel because they might appear as a human being. They can, angels can take on human being form. These, though, these fallen angels, these demons, took on human form and forsook their spiritual form. They were never going back to that form again. They wanted to stay here. Now, why did that happen? Because Satan was in authority over the earth because of what Adam did. Satan had authority, so he, he, they, they did that. And what Satan wanted to do, this is powerful, was change mankind's DNA. Want to change mankind's DNA? He wanted to pervert what God had made. He always does. Right now, we have all this transgender stuff happening. Where there, man, guys, what kind of crazy do you got to be to take an eight-year-old child and mutilate their body? I mean, if that child's an adult and makes that decision, then, you know, oh, I pray for the mercy of God on them, but at least they're older. But to take an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 13-year-old, 
Guys, this is lunacy. Why is this happening? Because the same demonic spirits that were on the earth then are here now. Satan wants to control mankind. We're the apple of God's eye. We're the prize he died for. He loves us. He's the, we're the focus of his attention, the focus of his mercy, the focus of his joy, the focus of his love. I mean, we are, the Bible says we're the apple of his eye. We're the focus of God's attention. And Satan hates it and wants to pervert everything that God has done. So right here, he begins to pervert the DNA of mankind. Uh, And then uh, the next verse, go to the next verse. And there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that sons of God, there's another translation that says the Nephilim. They're the fallen demons that took on human form, and now they're producing giants. They're, these people, are, their bodies are distorted. They're, 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 their bodies are, they're, they're total, their DNA is totally changed from what God intended. And they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men were, uh, who were of old, men of renown. So that's where we get stories about Hercules and these people. And you think, oh, they're producing supernatural human beings. That would be so cool. No, it wasn't cool. Guys, it was a perversion of what God wanted. And Satan did it because he knew these men of renown. He knew these children would worship him. And so it says the whole earth was filled with violence and lust of every form and kind, homosexuality, uh, uh, adultery, fornication, and then bestiality. Because these demons were were producing children that were demon-possessed, and their DNA was changed. They They took on a different form. They began to mate with animals or have sexual relations with animals. And the whole earth was cursed. The whole earth was absolutely cursed. Now, we're going to come back to Genesis, but I want you to go to 2 Peter. I'm going to show you in the New Testament where God says exactly what I am saying. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what God says here. He says, now, don't forget, God had no pity for the angels when they sinned, but threw them into the lowest, darkest dungeon of gloom and locked them in chains where they are firmly held until the judgment of torment. What sin did they commit and at what time did they commit it? Well, he tells us in the next verse. He says this, and he did not spare the former world in the days of who? Noah. Noah. I used to wonder, why are some demons locked and chained and can't get out, aren't let out till the end, and some demons are still floating around. Like, are the demons floating around or are they locked in chain? But now I get it. The ones that took on human form, he locked in chain. And I don't know if you realize this. There's compartments of hell. The lowest hell he's talking about is reserved for Satan and his demons and for leaders, everybody say leaders, that lead people away from God. The Hitlers, the Stalins, the Mao Zedongs that lead people away from God. It's reserved for them. So he took the ones that took on human form. He couldn't let them loose on the earth anymore. They're immortal. And he put them down in this dungeon so that they couldn't operate any longer. Now the ones that are just spiritual form are still operating. 
Does that make sense? He couldn't let them loose anymore. So he had to, he had to put them in, and he had to chain them up so that they couldn't get loose. So they're chained in the lowest part of hell. Then he says, and he did not spare the former world in the days of Noah when he set a flood to destroy a depraved world. Although he protected Noah, the preacher of righteousness, along with the seven members of his family. We know from the previous verses that we read in Luke that he goes on to compare everything to the days of Lot, just like the days of Noah. There was an economy in the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, but there was also great sin. And what happens? This happens. Now, I want you to catch this. This is, this is, a, this is a principle of God that we have to understand, that when he offers salvation, there's always judgment. Where there is judgment, there is salvation. Where there is salvation, there's judgment. It's kind of like truth and love. You can't have, if you have love without truth, it's not love. And if you have truth without love, it's not truth. So you, every time God moves, there's, when there's redemption, when he saves, he also judges. So he compares it to Noah and Lot. What happened? He saved Lot, but judged Sodom and Gomorrah. What happens with Noah? He saved Noah, but he judged the rest of the world. Daniel, he saved Daniel, but he put those other people back in the lion's den. Esther, he saved Esther and Mordecai, but he hung Haman and all those that came against him on the gallows. Where there is redemption and mercy, there is also always judgment. That's why we see in the last days, God is offering up salvation for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Now, I want to show you very quickly why he chose Noah. There's a reason why he chose Noah. It's, Revela it's Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis 6, verses 8 and 9. And we're going to look at also Genesis 11 and 12. Genesis 6, 8 says, But Noah, only Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace. He wasn't perfect. He needed God's unmerited favor just like we do. This is the genealogy of Noah. Now, why would it mention his genealogy? Well, I'll tell you why. Noah was a just man. That, that also, there's a word there uh, in other translations, a righteous man. That means what Pastor Shaman's talking about, he's right with God. He's seeking God to know him. Perfect in his generations. Now, how is he perfect in his generations? That word perfect also means pure. So what it means is Noah, throughout his genealogy, him and his children had never uh, cavorted, had intimacy, relationships with those demons and their children, and his DNA was pure. His DNA was pure. It was the way God made it. So he chose him because he was a seeker of God and because he had not perverted his DNA. Guys, there is so much perversion of DNA taking place even now. If you listen to Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel, right now they're saying they're crazy, they're lunatics, but they say over 4,500 people in Hollywood, the major, all the major players in Hollywood are all drinking the blood and body parts of children. They, there's, a tonic, there's a tonic they make, a drink they make that they think gives them immortality that will stop them from aging. They're trying to figure a way to change their DNA from the, that. That's where we get stem cell research comes, comes from aborted fetal tissue. 
comes from aborted fetal tissue, stem cells injected into our bodies to change things in our system. That's why I would not take any of the vaccines because they were birthed from stem cell research, aborted children. If you did, that doesn't mean you're going to hell, but you need to really pray about what you need to do with you, between you and God because these vaccines and a lot of this other stuff is designed to change our bodies. The next thing that's coming is technology. They're gonna start putting technology in our bodies and they're gonna introduce it as medical science because it's gonna measure uh, our, our heart rate, what we like, our endorphins. We know it's already here. The technology's already here to measure it. But they're gonna wanna put it in our bodies. I saw a speech from a homosexual Jewish guy. It was the slickest, coolest speech I probably have ever seen in my life. And he did it at the, the big one, one percenter summit that's produced all over the world that all the wealthiest people in the world come to and all the biggest corporations. And he presented this and he said, the next stage of human evolution is the altering of our DNA and the addition of technology into our bodies. That will alter our bodies. The mark of the beast, guys listen, they're gonna introduce it as medical science, it's gonna make perfect sense, but this is the next step. They want to be able to measure all of our body chemistry for one reason and one reason alone. We know that God said you can't serve money in Him, right? It's money because they're gonna, they're gonna just like they do now. Has anybody ever talked, on, talked to somebody and said, hey man, I'm looking for a new 2006 F-150, da 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 da, and your phone's been around? And then the next thing you know, you look and there's a bunch of ads for F-150s? Who's had that happen to them? Uh, almost everybody. I, it happens to me all the time. You know, next thing I know, whatever I was talking about pops up. So, so what are they gonna do with this technology? They're gonna put it in our bodies, and they're gonna measure our heart rates, our endorphins, they're gonna measure our body chemistries, they're gonna do it, for, they're gonna introduce it as medical, and then it's gonna become marketable. And then you're gonna get marketed to what, what turns you on, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what touches you, what you're interested in, what your eyes look at. I'm gonna start marketing everything to you. They're already talking about it. They're already doing it. Already. So the Bible says not only was Noah seeker of God, but he was pure. His genealogy was pure. That's why it mentions it. He was untainted by the demons and all the stuff. Now, what happened was once they went into that, I told you they went into bestiality. The reason God flooded the world is not because he's some mean old man. It's because the whole earth was cursed and they worshiped Satan, all of them except Noah. And they perverted the animal kingdom. That's why the fish in them didn't die. They didn't have, they didn't have sexual intercourse with fish and, and the things in the ocean, but they did on the things on the land. That's why God had to bring those animals to Noah because he had to go find pure ones to bring, so their DNA wasn't altered. And they weren't perverted. He said the whole earth was perverted. The entire earth. Did we read six and nine? How about, 
How about Genesis 6, 11, and 12? We'll end with this. The earth, everybody say the earth, also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Listen, once he starts perverting our bodies and changing stuff about us and marketing us and controlling us like that, man, Satan worship just takes completely over. Completely over. And we know the mark of the beast, you can neither buy nor sell. It's a marketing thing. It'll start as that. And then after a while, if you don't have that installed in your body, your DNA changed, the mark installed in your body, the technology, whatever it is installed in your body, then you will not be able to do anything. You will not be able to buy and sell. So people are going to sell their soul for what? Money. That's why it's so important you, you begin to be a giver right now. Because if you're not a giver now, you're not tithing and you, you're not generous. You know, when God moves you to give five bucks, 10 bucks, a thousand, whatever, whatever he gives, if you're not generous to your family, generous to those people around you, that when you have extra, you don't even think about, uh, you know, giving it. You think about eating it, doing it something for yourself. Listen, you better be generous now because if you're not generous now, you will not be able to resist certain things. Money will become your God. He said, God, so God looked on the earth and indeed it was what? It for what? Had corrupted their way on the earth. Not just human flesh, all flesh. The animals were diseased. Do you know all the diseases that we have? Monkey pox, uh, AIDS, all these things that have come from animals, even though it didn't come from a monkey or a bat being eaten in that thing, it came from, the coronavirus came from that lab, that coronavirus was still derived from an animal. They diseased the animals, the animals diseased them. Monkey pox and AIDS are horrible. It's, AIDS killed millions. I, was, I saw the funerals in Africa. Funeral, I mean funeral after one procession, then another one, then another one, then one going this way. And what they by the millions they died. Because someone had sex with a monkey. This is what was happening on the earth. God's not so mean, old man. He was trying to save us. He had, oh, thank God for Noah. That he didn't pervert his way. But you see in that sequence. God said, Noah, build this ark. And Noah built the ark for almost 150 years. And everybody that heard about the ark, it was like a sight, like Roswell was this last week. You know, it's people just flocked to see the ark. They'd never seen a boat. It had never flooded. They'd never even seen a boat. And now he's got this massive structure. What, that's his, that was his pulpit. The ark was his pulpit. And it was testing. He was saying, guys, Get your, get your lives right with God. This is coming to an end. This is so perverse. And he testified the whole time. What is the ark now? It's the church. We were building this building, and I'll end with this. We were building this building, and we were a year in, and man, literally, when we build buildings, I don't know if you understand that, Hopefully it'll be better now, but for the last couple of times, you can ask my wife. I was either on the phone at home, working at home. 
where I was here working seven days a week. And if we were in this project a year, and I'd worked taking phone calls on Christmas, working, making decisions, it was constant. Raising money, trying to get things built, dealing with contractors. And I asked God, I said, God, is this worth it? It's wearing me out. And then I found out 80% of all pastors, either during or after, leave the church after a building project. And I understand now why, because it's so draining. And I'm like, God, what is up? And he said, Troy, this is years ago. He said, Troy, before I even knew this information, he said, Troy, you and your people, my people, are building an ark. And you are a testimony to the world that I am Lord and that I want to save them just like the ark was in Noah's day. That was his platform. That was his pulpit, was the ark. This is our platform. This is our pulpit, pulpit, the church. And we got to be about our father's business telling everybody around the world, everybody, that Jesus wants to save you, not judge you, but you get to choose judgment or salvation, just like those people did. It'll be the exact same way. And it's happening. Population increase, demonic activity, DNA changing. We live in this day, in this time. Now, Pastor Troy, when's that gonna happen? I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. He comes like a bridegroom. But we're the church. We're the friend. The friend of the bridegroom is the Holy Spirit, and he should be shouting from us. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. It could be any night. It could be any day. Just be ready. Well, how do you be ready? You surrender your whole life to Jesus as the Lord of your life. And you take his mercy, you receive his mercy. You receive his salvation, his grace on your life. And you will be saved. You won't be left here for judgment. You won't be part of the flood. I don't mean that literally because there'll be no flood. Just wrath. There'll be disease that's killing off a third of the world. There'll be, the, the third of the oceans will die in a day, in a day. Meteorite will hit the earth and burn, a third of the earth will burn in fire. Guys, this is the days of the wrath of God that we get to miss out on if you know Jesus as Lord. Not saying it, not just verbalizing it, not pretending to be a Christian. No, man, it's, your life belongs to him. It's surrendered to him. All out, every day, everything you do, not perfect, but you're consistently pursuing God. And that's your number one goal. Every eye closed here and online. We're th so thankful you joined us online. Online and here, if you're not right with God, this is your moment, this is your time. Let's do it now. Let's pray now, but you have to mean it in your heart and say it out of your mouth. We can lead you in a prayer. I can lead you in a prayer. We can all pray with you. I know we've all prayed for you. I believe that if you're from another city or another place and you're visiting, God brought you here for this moment in this time right now to make sure that you know you're right with God. And if you don't know, to get it right. I don't know when this day's coming. It could be another God's so merciful and patient. There's so many people on the planet that still don't know him. It could be another lifetime. I believe it is in my lifetime. The next 30, 40 years, I just see the rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the spirit that was on Cain is growing, growing, growing. 
I see the population. I see the DNA stuff. It's happening. I see the worship of demons openly and publicly uh, on the Grammys and in New Mexico. I mean, just everywhere. The rise of violence everywhere. America's never been so violent. The world has never been so violent. Corrupt. All I know is this. As being part of the bride, the body of Christ, I'm, I, I gotta be ready every day. Gotta have my stuff ready to go. That when Jesus... When he splits the eastern sky apart, he opens the door, and he says, come, I'll go with him. The question is, will you? No games, no con jobs. Do you really want to submit your life to Jesus? And if you do, we want to pray with you right now online, whether it's your first time or next time. You just want to come home. You're not right. You haven't been, he's not been first. And you want to make it, you're coming back and saying, man, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to put him back where he belongs first in my life. Or whether you're first time, I want you to message us right now online and say, I'm praying right now for the first time or the next time in this room. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand. Don't, don't play around with this. Boldly raise your hand and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God right now, right here. Don't, be, don't think about who you're sitting next to. Don't worry about anybody else but your relationship with God right now. Take advantage of this moment that God is offering you. So here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, it's me. I'm gonna get right with God. Stick it up boldly. Thank you, God. At least so many. Thank God. Okay, let's pray. Online or here, let's pray right now. If you're watching online later in the week this, and you need to get right with God, this prayer is still valid. So let's all pray right now. Say this. Say, God, I believe you are God in God alone. And I believe you love us. You love me. So you sent Jesus to die for my sins on the cross. You raised him from the dead, and he's alive. You did all of that to rescue me, to save me from sin's dominion, slavery in this life and sin's penalty in the next life. I believe that. I thank you for it. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I receive a full pardon, your forgiveness right now. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I surrender my life to you. Now teach me how to live the life you came to give. Life in abundant life until I see you in heaven. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Glory to God. Come on. Let's thank him. He's so good. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.